Hey guys, Brian Martin was working on an oil rig and just being a regular dude. Well, if you can call the word roughneck a regular dude, when he wrote a song to his wife and he decided to put that song out on social media and 13 million views later, this guy goes from being a regular dude on an oil rig, nine to five job to becoming a singer songwriter in Music City, USA. But it wasn't overnight. It was more than a decade of hard work in the making. And on this episode of Unbeatable, you get a chance to hear this raw story about drugs and struggles and suicide attempts and all that went into him becoming the kind of guy who can pour his heart out in a song or on the stage. Check out Brian Martin on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Hey, Brian with a Y Martin, thank you for being part of this episode of Unbeatable with me. Hey, man, thank you for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, thanks. I want to get into your story. I want to tell people what you're doing now. And then what I want to do is go back in time and tell everybody what you were doing and this incredible leap from the oil rigs and roughnecking to writing and producing songs right now in Music City, USA. So you got a single that just dropped. I hope people have started streaming it on their favorite music platform, but you just dropped Wolves Cry. You have been writing music for a while, man. Tell us a little bit about this song that just just came out. Man, this song just kind of like relates back to where I'm from, that, that little spot on the river right there on the border of Louisiana and Texas. And uh, All right. It's, uh, you know, I know a lot of my family that was married in, which my uncle that passed away not too long ago, were native, and uh, my a lot of my family were cowboys, so I was always right there in the middle. And uh, okay, <laughs> so, but you know, I always had that feeling of, you know, this was my little, this was my little piece. You know, my dad's place was only three acres, but and a double wide trailer. But that was my little piece of heaven. Yeah. That was my one piece of land that I knew that my daddy worked hard to get. And I, and you know, no matter how big the acreage that was ours, and if, you know, it was just something that. I still hold sacred, man, just knowing that uh, I'm not connected to both yeah. sides, you know, because of the land and because of my heritage and because of where I come from. And yeah. So every time I go back there, I'm just like, just want a chance to walk through the woods and go down right. to the creeks, man. <laughs> I just got this mental image of you walking around the woods with boots and a hat on, actually you in a John boat on the, yes. you know, on the river, <laughs> just cruising along with boots and a hat on, a little bit of Texas, a little bit of Louisiana in, in the mix. I'm right between the tumbleweeds and the, and the uh, swamp moss. That's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> The tumbleweeds that bro across the top of the swamp in your neck. <laughs> that's it. I get it. Okay. Yeah, he, my, yeah, my uh, dad's family was from San Antonio, so that's where the cowboy comes from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Well, for people that are tuned in and watching this thing on YouTube from around the world, maybe they don't know a little bit about your background. So now let me go back in time a little bit. Okay. You started talking about the family heritage, the land that your daddy worked hard to earn. And when you write music, man, it is obvious that your songs are real and they're raw and you don't try to be somebody that you're not. Yes. So let's go way back. You know, tell us a little bit about growing up with a pretty talented, musically talented family and especially your really talented mother. Can you describe yes. a little bit of this for a while? Yes, sir. Uh, my mom, uh, she is. She was on. She had her own band. You know, she was traveling around, which was how she met my dad because my dad's family was uh, the leaders of that band, and then they brought right. her on. And, and uh, you know, honky tonks and the bars and and going around and doing that. And she sing on the Hay Ride with, with uh, David Houston and Brian Young. And yeah, uh, when I was born, you know. She had had seven miscarriages before me, and uh, so like when she when I was born, she just started singing. Wow. She just started. Singing. You were a miracle baby, man. And she had <laughs> Thank seven you. miscarriages before yeah. you. And she said uh, she went to singing in churches and singing around, doing different little uh, grand openings and festivals around locally. But she kind of just kind of put her stuff on the back burner. But she put me on the front burner, 
<laughs> and I'll be honest with you, it's one of those things where sometimes I look back on it and I go, man, I remember she was making demo tapes of me at four years old singing Aki Breaky Heart. Yeah. And then I was dragged around to these festivals and singing uh, like two songs in, every night and practicing them for eight hours a day uh, at from the age of six on up. And that's the thing, though, man, is I had a passion for it. But at the same time, I had a passion for the music itself yeah. more than I had a passion for the actual being the entertainer, I guess. Yeah. Your mother sang with one of my favorite. She's not the most powerful voice I've ever heard, but probably one of the purest voices I've ever heard in my life is Alison Krauss. Alison Your mother Krauss. sang with Alison Krauss. And I just get the idea, I get a little bit of hair on the back of my neck sticking up thinking my, about those two doing a duet. My mama told me that story about the Keithville Jamboree. So like mm -hmm. we're out there around where I'm from, I'm from around 60 miles south of Shreveport, you know? And so uh -huh. the Keithville area, and, you know, that's where the hayride and stuff was. And so the Keithville Jamboree was this little old place, but that's where the Cox family used to uh, sing and all those. And, uh, and they're all from around that area. And, you know, uh, Allison Krause, when my mama sang with her, she was only 13 years old. But she was out there with the Cox family performing. Wow. You know, this about like me, man. She started at a young age, and that's really, she didn't, she didn't have no, I mean, she had a choice, but it was something yeah. that's, like if you're if you're around it, I've never been a spectator anyway. If I'm gonna go watch something, I want to be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I gotta I gotta uh, know how this felt for you though, man. Six, seven, eight years old. Now, obviously, your mama and daddy are both very comfortable being on the stage. But it's one thing seeing your parents on the stage, and another being a six, seven, eight year old boy yeah. up on the stage at a at a fair or at a festival, and I can't imagine how your knees were knocking at that oh, yeah. age. What would what did it feel like being on the stage at that age uh, with Mama telling you to sing a song or two? Man, it kind of felt it felt like I can still remember it. It's a uh, it's that nervousness that I still get today. Like a lot of people don't know it, but I still have that same that same anxiety. Okay. Yeah. So all these years, it's it's the same feeling of going up there and going. Man, uh, let me just get these first couple notes out without me, you know, it's like pulling, some, pulling something up out of you. Like yeah. you got that, I don't want to be up here thing, but at the same time, you know, I practiced in, in a room by myself. I can do it like nobody's business. But when I get up on that stage and you got people looking at you, I still have that feeling, but I still hold that feeling as something that's kept me where I'm at and yeah. mentally knowing that that's how much respect I have for the people that I'm in front of, the people that uh, are listening, and also respect for what we're doing. It, it, yeah. it holds a it holds a high value in my heart to know that music can move people, and and no matter what you're about to say or what you're about to sing, you know you're moving somebody in certain ways, and you always want to try to move people in the right ways and move them in the in the forward motion. You know. So. Yeah, and I'm impressed that you keep that uh, attitude towards performing. Brian, you already know this, man. The statistics say that the most terrifying personal fear for people is getting on stage, either speaking in front of a crowd or singing in front of a crowd. In fact, the research says people would rather die, literally would rather die. They're less afraid of dying than standing <laughs> on stage. I know a little bit of what that feels like as a public speaker. Obviously, you're on stage at six, seven, eight years old. And even though mama's right in the side, yeah. you know, right on the side there, you're still out there in front of a huge crowd. And that's extremely intimidating. It, it is because you're not also, you know, I didn't want to make I always want to make her proud, too. So, yeah, you know, I, I didn't ever want to go up there and mess up. And that was another thing I held on, on me, too, is because even if even if she wouldn't have never even said nothing about it. It was, I held that at a young age going, hey, my mama is known for this. And so if I'm up here doing this, I want to, I, I don't want to live in her, her I don't want to live in her shadow, but I don't want to, uh, also, I don't want to let her down. Yeah, of course. <clears throat> well, you started writing music and, and for you, man, if, if I got this number correctly, it is blowing my mind right now. You have written more than 3000 songs. Is that yeah. accurate? Yes, sir. Oh, I don't even understand how that's humanly possible. But I mean, you have been writing music from an early age. So how did songwriting start for you? Man, songwriting is a, uh, so I burned out on the singing at around 13 uh, and I started writing bulls and I got into the adrenaline rush of that stuff. And, and then I, uh, lips more loud. Yeah, let me, let me just make sure everybody who's driving right now or who's got the children 
begging for their attention didn't miss that. You said, it's not thrilling enough to be on stage. Let me transition to riding bulls at 13 years old. That's a little bit less scary than being on stage, right, with a microphone. Well, all my friends are doing it, and uh, I would get taken. I would go to a rodeo, and I'm like I said, I'm not one to watch. Uh, I said, uh, you know, I, I said, yeah, I, so I, I got this. I got this picture of you uh, standing next to a buddy saying, "How hard can it be? Let me go yeah. get on that bull and just see what it feels like." Yeah, I mean, if you can do it, I can do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> all right. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I could get on one. And I could get off one. Get I, off one real I, quick, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't know exactly how I was gonna get off, but yeah. I always knew how to hit the ground pretty hard. And, right. uh, but you know, I never, I never mastered the art of the balance. Uh, you know, but at the same time, I kept getting on, and I yeah. never became no uh, champion or nothing like that. But I, I got on a few, and I made it right there too, almost the point where I thought I was gonna win something, and I didn't. And then, but at the same time, it's a uh, I realized that, hey, man, maybe bull riding ain't for you when you, after you've been stepped on and kicked and, you know, and and beat down. But at the same time, when I got up, I got up tougher every time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, and I and I did that, and I I, I did some dirt track racing, you know, because also mm-hmm. one of them things where I was like, there wasn't very many things to go do. You either go see the race, the races or the rodeo. And, uh, you know, and you decided I, both, Ben. Like, why, why choose one? Just do yeah, both. Yeah, yeah, just do them both. Yeah, <laughs> so I did that and did that for a little bit, and then I uh, had to mature myself pretty pretty early on. and So I said, uh, now I'm just going to go do some living. And uh, I quit high school at 18 went to work. And uh, after working a little bit, I wrote my first song. And uh, to be honest with you, songwriting came in pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, Pretty around that time when I started learning, okay, it's the real world. Yeah. You know, no, no, you know, I, I had been working in the hay fields and stuff like that my whole life, you know, and, and doing stuff like that after school because that's all we really did was work. My dad was always working. I was always working. But uh, when I was out there by myself and having to hold myself accountable and hold myself uh, starting to learn that, hey, you can't come out here and, and go out and, get messed up at night and come back and try to work yeah. and do this stuff, especially on a drilling rig, you know, cause you get killed. And so I just yeah. started writing about the daily struggles of learning to maneuver myself through this change in life. And, uh, and they just became like a daily journal for me to yeah. write a song. I couldn't say it. I didn't, couldn't play a guitar. I couldn't play any kind of instrument. And I just started hearing melodies in my head and I started hearing the words come to me, but I could never say anything without it rhyming. And That's fascinating. You use language like daily journal, because if you're listening to this episode right now, let me put this in context. 3000 songs is like the equivalent of writing a song a day for almost 10 years, like yes. nine years. Um, that's how prolific of a songwriter you are, Brian. And it, it, it has to come out naturally. I mean, nobody who has to really work at songwriting is going to be able to crank out the number of songs, let alone how powerful and how honest your songs are. So I want to go back to that time when you quit high school and you ran into life in the real world. I think that's kind of what you just described it. And when you found life in the real world, you uh, life got hard. It went from uh, rough to, to really rough for you. So you dropped out of high school, 18 years old, and you start working on an oil rig. And I know what the word roughneck means, the yes, guys sir. that are working <laughs> on oil rig. Yes. When you have rough in the title of the guys working on the oil <laughs> rig, it ought to tell you something about what this is like. Yes, sir. There's, there's people around the around the world that are listening to this episode, Brian, that have no idea what a roughneck is and what an oil rig is like. So can you just describe what this brutal lifestyle is for the listener who has no clue? Yes, sir. Like I said, it's a um, – <clears throat> like I said, it's a, it's a rough – lifestyle but at the same time when you live in where i live you know you're either on the you're either on the farm or you're on the rig you know right and um a rig is is there's no give in in that iron like you know there's there's no it there's no uh there's no almost hurt yourself it's 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 you know everything around you is there to kill you pretty much you know and you have to really try try to manipulate 
these things into working it towards your favor <laughs> instead of against your favor, no. you know. Right. And, and you see so many people that don't know, but like just to put fuel in your cars and fuel in your gas heaters and stuff like that, like there's a lot of lives being lost because yeah. we are pretty much dancing with the devil out there, you know. I think it's uh, one of those things where, you know, we kind of go to some real deep depths where you get down there and there's just such high pressures and the gas and and uh, if you're not doing what you're yeah. supposed to be doing, it just changes in an instant. It's literally no, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no room for error. Yeah. And I and I think that when you're out there swinging a hammer nine, you know, twelve hours a day, beating on uh, hammer unions and. Uh-huh. And you're running up and down stairs and run, you know it's it's a it's a non-stop go like i always say this and people don't understand it but the roughnecks understand it like there is literally there's no uh set lunch break there is no set time for you to have a uh break so like if you wanted to eat you had to have it either in your pocket or on uh, you know somewhere nearby or wherever uh-huh. you was working and then you didn't have time to go to a uh a change house a lot of times or and clean your hands. Sometimes you got a little bit of that dirt in your in your sandwich. But you uh-huh. had, if you wanted to eat, you ate it, and you just kept rolling. And that's just the mentality of the guy next to you, uh, and the guy behind you, and the guy around you. That they all have a family they came up there with. And no matter if you're trying to take that next spot, you know that we're all going leaving here the same way we right. came here because we all have a family, and we all have we all came here to do one thing, and that's uh that's try to get the job done. Yeah, and I want the listener to remember that when you're pulling into the gas station and you're filling up your car, that there were a lot of people that were in a very dangerous position to be able to get you that one, you know, the to be able to let you fill that up. And I am very, uh, I am minimally aware of just how dangerous this lifestyle is. But being a roughneck, you can never, ever let your guard down, right? You can't make a mistake because one mistake can and in a lot of people's cases has killed them so it's yes, just relentless you gotta always be on guard because a mistake will kill you yes sir and it and it's and i've always been the kind and i don't know if it's you know i think a lot of people are that way especially out there that mentality is uh i'm always looking out for the guy uh that's around me more than i am myself yeah just because that's uh because at the end of the day, you know, they're all we have for most of our life. Right. You know, they're, they're like our real our real blood family. I mean, we're out there with these guys and don't have nobody to, you know, uh, share the things that we're going through unless we yeah. share it with these guys. So right. it's like, and if I want to learn the next position, you know, if I say, hey, I want I want to work Derek's. And, uh, you know, that's which I, which I went to. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd have to go talk to the Derek hand and say, hey. You know, let me go up there, and, uh, you know, at night and trip that pipe and you go learn how to run that rig. But I had to make sure that the guy behind me at least knew what I knew because I can't leave that job for one second to learn the next job unless that guy behind me is at least where I'm at I'm mentally on able to handle that job because anything goes wrong, it don't matter if I'm trying to learn the next position or not. I'm responsible for that guy if he gets killed or if something happens or something blows up, you know, because that's my job. Yeah. You know? And I've always been that 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 self-aware about yeah. the people around me, you know. Yeah, not only looking out for yourself, but looking out for the people around you. That's it. We all um, got a family. We're just trying to make, yeah, a, make it right. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, the word rough is in the title roughneck because yes, it sir. really is a rough life. But there are some rough men, you and I both know it, that choose this lifestyle. And I'm talking about cussing, drinking, yes, you know, partying, just some guys that are really tough, really rough guys. So I've been there too. <laughs> this, I mean, this is not meant to be a segue, man. I just want people to hear a little bit about your story. So when did you first get introduced to, to pills and how did that start for you? Because to the audience, it goes from introduced to, to pills to becoming a full-blown opiate addiction. When did that start for you, man? How did that start? Well, you know, like I said, without without outing any of my, you know, family or anything, but it's all I had in my family was uh, drug addiction. And uh, so it started at a very early age because I was always trying to, you know, blend in or uh, trying to be, you know, hang out. And, and like I said, 
you know, uncles and aunts and this, that, and the other. I see things uh-huh. going on. I learned a lot of things, but at the same time, I st- you know, I got that that re- uh, that rebellion in me that was like, you know, I don't do nothing. You know, I don't, yeah. you know, I'm all, I, you know, and I started dipping that, you know, dipping snuff at like right. eight years old, sneaking around, you know, and then it turned into, well, let me try this, let me try that, alcohol at, you know, early age, and then drugs at an early age, and, you know, I had a hurt collarbone from working uh, or playing uh, football, and uh-huh. I had to go to work in the hay fields and stuff so it's like i took one of my you know uh aunt's uh pills and then it turned into a whole bunch of more stuff just kind of kept going i said all right well you know by the time i got to 18 years old i had done took everything that i told myself and i still was in this in this whole deal where i would go i ain't gonna be like them yeah, that's but right. I was, but I was. I'll be different. I'm different, right? I'm I know different. what happens yeah. to them, but it ain't gonna happen to me. It ain't gonna happen to me. I can tell. I can let. I ain't gotta have this, you know. But, that's right. And then by 18, I was like, I gotta have it. And then after that, when I got on the rigs, you know, I learned that, uh, you know, back in the old days, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of, uh, you know, we were we were still rough, rough necks. Like it, it wasn't like it wasn't like it is today. Today. I, you know, there's so many uh, different things that they've evolved, which I'm I'm proud, man. Like I said, yeah. you know, uh, but I I got ran over by a forklift, uh, like li- literally as soon as I got wow. got in the oil field, and uh, wound up hurting myself and separating two bones in my neck, and didn't get surgery to fix it. I just told them, they, you know, they they told me I wasn't gonna be able to to work no more, and I said, yeah. well, I walked in here, I walk out, kind of thing, you know. And I just kept going and had a couple episodes early on where I, I went into like a fetal position, couldn't get out for like three days. But I, once I got out, I'd, I'd keep working to the next, you know, yeah. had, you know, that nerve in my neck. Right. And, uh, but eventually it just, it just kind of, I guess it, I guess it didn't really heal itself, you know, but it, it, it did. Cause I, you know, I haven't, I kept working and I kept working through it. No matter what was going on, I've had, you know, uh, my teeth knocked out, and I get back on some more pain pills. And you know, like I said, that iron don't play, man. I, yeah. I've had a, I've been, I've had a couple of things where I was like, man, I, I don't want to hurt the company by being out here with like yeah. ice on this deal, and I slipped and hit the choke manifold uh, handle and broke some of my teeth out. You know how it is out there on the rig. You don't. That's, I'm not turning this in because you know. Mm-hmm. I'm tough enough to take it. I not have a job tomorrow if I do. Yeah, exactly. I'm tough enough to take it. So it was always just pushed through it no matter what was going on, no matter what was happening. We knew what we was getting into when we signed up to be a roughneck. And I just always uh, always kept that mentality of, you know, as things evolved and all the OSHA and JSAs and everything started coming in, I was, I was one of the ones that was like, man, this takes more time mm-hmm. to get the job done. But. I had to look at it from a bigger picture of like, yeah, I'm also one of those old school hands that wants to just get the job done. But also I know I've lost, you know, a lot of people that I've met along the way because it wasn't done the right way. And then that's, that starts sinking into you as you grow older. That takes a lot of, a little bit more maturity and a little bit more of knowing that, you know, just because you were brought up this way in the oil field that it's not, you know, even now I think that they do go a little bit over the top with some of the things. Uh But, you know, there's a middle there to where the guys in the office and the guys on the rigs, you know, can meet in the middle somewhere yeah. to make more, yeah. you know, more, more, more for the hands, you know, right. because, like I said, you know, we don't, if we're going to go uh, do something simple, you know, like let's pump a little bit of water down the hole and the max pressure is going to be like 100 pounds of pressure or something, you know, or 250 pounds of pressure and it's just a, a little old test, like, Let's not do fifty or an hour long yeah. gathering everybody to uh, and to do a job. It's gonna take like thirty minutes, you yeah. know. What I mean? Right. <laughs> but that's my take on it, man. Sure. Um, I've done interviews with guys on this episode or in the show that have experimented with drugs. Many of them, it went from experimenting to getting hooked on drugs. And I've done an, uh, an episode or two of somebody that just kind of wrecked their life and then finally got things back on track because of drugs. I don't want people to hear your story right now and think that it was really simple or really easy for you because, and I'm just going to tell people part of this part of your story and want you, and then I want you to explain it 
your life gets really, really so miserable that you try to kill yourself not once, but twice back to back at 19 years old. And man, you're a storyteller. You tell stories and music. So I want you to tell the listener right now, like what what got you to the point where it was so bad that you back to back decided I, I can't take it anymore. And, the, and the, the only thing left for me is to just end it all. Well, I had a good job. I was like I said, I was working in the, on the rigs, and uh, me and my cousin, and uh, we were real, real close. And he was going off to the navy, and uh, part of my deal was was he grew up in a in a home that had a lot of addiction going on in it. So yeah. I was always around him, kind of like trying to be a buffer between the situation, you know. And uh, my daddy was, uh, you know, just a hard worker. You know, I I can't say nothing more, but my mama was just a, a a warrior, you know. She was just a regular mama. But, you know, sometimes it just got to the point where I saw that there was things going on in other people's, like my cousin's life, that I just kind of became a buffer. And we became like a best friend, like a brother thing. Yeah. And, uh, and same thing with my other cousin. And he had his share of run-ins, he, you know, with things like alcohol at early age. And so I've always tried to be the one saving somebody. But, I, you know, I, try, I never took time to save myself. Yeah. And so uh, I, um, he was going to the Navy, and I tried to go with him. And because I was like, hey, if you're going, I'm going. And then, and it, it was really me just running away from the drugs because I had done got to a point to where I was like, I ain't going to get off of them or do no better with my life here. I mean, I ain't got nothing around me but to do wrong. And, yeah. Uh, so I tried to go, and they wouldn't take me because I didn't have a high school diploma. So he went, and I said, well, heck with it. I just went to the door next to him, and I went to the Army. And they said, well, you got to get a GD. So I went into a night school and took the pretest, and they was like, uh-huh. we're pretty much ready already. So literally within a week, I had my GD, went back, and um, I joined. And my dad, I, don't, I didn't tell him. And uh, when I told my dad, he was, you know, first time I ever really saw him emotional. And he's like, really? Well, you know, what, I, what, what, you know, how am I supposed to protect you out there, you know? And I said, I just need to go, man. I said, I need to go. Yeah. I said, I got to get away. out of here, right? I got to get away from some of this stuff. And it's not a place to go to get away from. It's not a place to go for rehab. I can promise you that. So, <laughs> yeah. United States military, the U.S. Army for rehab. Yeah. That's yeah. Not, if that's if not you're if you uh, have a real heavy addiction and you quit, like, literally a, a couple of hours before you go into – uh, their world, uh, it's not a good it's place to go. go well for you. It's not, yeah, yeah. it's not a good place. <laughs> so, like, literally, but I go in there, and like I said, mentally, I was already broken. So, you know, uh, without the drugs, I didn't have nothing to numb that anymore. So, like, I went through the process and the process of trying to let them break me and me not breaking, you know, yeah. going back and forth and back and forth. And to be honest with you, I salute every. I'm gonna take this moment to say I salute every person who is in the in the armed services. And, Absolutely. Uh, so do I. I'm gonna tell you right now, my whole family uh, on my daddy's my my daddy's side. My my grandfather was in the navy. My uh, sister's in the navy, and you know she's married to a marine. So it's like you know I thought, well, I can do it, you know. And so I went in there with that mindset, that bull rider, tough guy, mm-hmm. oilfield guy mindset. And I can tell you. That it's a lot tougher. Uh, it's a toughness that I didn't never really have yeah. to address, and that was the mental toughness. And, yeah. uh, but I learned how to love everyone around me, and I learned how to, even if uh, that person was right in my face and calling me the worst person in the world, and I hated I hated authority at that time, man. And uh, but I learned how. To, I hate authority, and I need yeah. to get. Uh, uh, I need to break this drug addiction. Let me go to the U.S. Let Army. me go to the U.S. Army. Yes, yes. And so it's and it's like. Uh, man, like I said, I went through the the whole training there and everything, and I wound up don't know how it happened, uh, and and I still this is what really brought this uh, suicide thing on was I had a I was almost done, and you know I had a allergic reaction in the field, and uh-huh. and it was I was like at the end of my training, and I wound up swelling up from the outside first time yeah. it ever happened to me, like and I couldn't breathe. Well, like they're like. Go back to the infirmary. Well, it's like an eight mile uh, march, you know. We carrying all my stuff, and by the time I got there, I couldn't breathe. 
was about to fall out. And so I get there, and they, they stick me with one of them EpiPen things or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And, and then I wake up, and I got uh, discharge papers by my bed. And they're like, you withheld information. You're getting Article 15. Yeah. You're getting, and I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you had asthma, respiratory uh, problem as a kid, which I told my recruiter and all this stuff. But no, no. No hate hate towards recruiters, but uh, I told him he just let that one slip through the cracks and Uh uh, I took the blunt force of it. And, uh, and after about three months of that, I finally made it home. When I made it home, I got, wasn't long. I got a, uh, a waiver sent in the mail and it's like, you want to go back? (laughs) And so I was like, after what I just went through, just on the out, out process, I was like, hell no. (laughs) I'm going to pass on that. I got took all my pay away, you know, but, uh, so I did that, but I came home and I could not look at none of my family because I felt like a failure. The first time I had to do something, I didn't, I didn't keep. And, uh, so that hit me hard and I hit the drugs again. And then drugs and alcohol and feeling like a failure just don't mix. And uh, and so I, I wound up with um, 30 Percocets, a uh, fifth of whiskey, and a 357. I took, I said, one of these three will get it, you know. And uh, and I took the 30. I took the, uh, I drank the whiskey, and I pulled the trigger on a 357 Magnum and it misfired. Wow. And, and the suicide note that I was going to leave behind for my mom and them because I, I truly just had become this, you know, not the person that they were raising, uh, right? Just the, yeah, the person who was trying to, you know, I don't know, you know, it's it's yeah, it's crazy. Sure. I had to I had the parents that wasn't wasn't like that, and they were trying to lead me away from that, but I kept going the way of going right back into it. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to feel somebody. I had that em- empathy for everyone, but I put myself in their pain to try mm-hmm. to think that I was going to help blend in enough to heal them. But I was, I was killing myself. Yeah. And, um, so like I, I literally put that into a suicide note and, um, man, when that gun was fired, I could still feel the thump on my temple. And, uh, every day that's been my metronome, man. It's wow. A, it's a, and so like that, that note turned into my first song and, uh, and it was called Can You Hear It? Because that night, uh, when that happened, after I blacked out from the alcohol, um, I woke up and I kept hearing this voice saying, you're not done, you know? And I woke up and spiritually, I felt like there was something changing in me. And I, I cussed and hollered and said, if this is you, God, give me a second chance. I didn't ask you for it. You know, I, was, I, I, I just wanted to go home, you know? and. Uh, I kept hearing you're not done, and then next thing I know, that day I met the woman who's that, that like literally six hours or so, you know. Within I picked her up and we went on our uh, well I met her, and then the next day after that I met her, and we next day we went on a date and we've been together for 15 years and got four wow. kids. Yeah. And so it's literally like in a matter of a day, that was the day before I I had my life. Yeah. Uh, I almost tried to take it, and so ever since then I've been living. I've been living like, you know, this is a second chance, a second. Uh, you know, I get to see the sunset one more time. I get to see, right. see the beauty in in this in this. And so, like, the only way I knew how to get all this out of me, and to make it something that felt like it was going to impact somebody, or help somebody that was in that position, because I know that there's so many people like that, and especially yeah. if you deal with depression and stuff like. I just took a piece of paper that first time and wrote it in a note, everything I wanted to say. Uh-huh. So I, I did, I felt the healing in it, but I wasn't, I didn't want to, I didn't, you know, as like I said, so like I, that's the first time I took a piece of paper and wrote it down and then I threw it away. But after that, it wasn't writing no more. It was just, it was literally just every day I had a melody come in my mind and it, yeah. singing these words that, that that were the truth of what I was going through, the, the truth of this day. So it was a daily journal. It was a daily struggle. It was a daily growth that showed my maturity yeah. uh, through life and through my family. And as life progressed, and I learned that that all started with something that I learned uh, from writing something down that I had been holding in for a long time. 
Yeah, man, you just said something a moment ago that it was so powerful. I actually just wrote it down that your second chance in life was when that firing pin hits the primer on that bullet and it doesn't go off. And you use the language like that's your metronome now. That's the thing that keeps you writing and keeps you making music. And man, Brian, that story is powerful because there are some people that are really struggling right now. And They've got the pills and the bottle and the pistol, and they're saying, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Maybe I'm just going to go for the escape exit. Maybe I'm just going to take the pills. Maybe I'm just going to put the pistol in my mouth and end it all. And I want people to hear from you. It wasn't easy. It didn't happen overnight. And in fact, if you listen to your songs, if you if you pay attention to those words, there's a lot of pain in those words. Yes, um, but it's worth the the second, third, fifth chance at life. It's worth it if you just don't throw it out. Oh yeah, and it it didn't. And this is the deal too: is uh, sometimes you, for, when you when you live through something like that, you uh, there is always going to be the threat of complacency. So yeah. you like I lived through it. I've been having some great things happen in my life. And then you get in another valley, and you you feel that you feel that lonely, but you're not alone feeling. You know, but you also kind of don't have the time to address it again. Here you are again, going back down this rabbit hole of I don't have the time to address it. I don't have yeah. the time to address it. And then when it hits you at all at one time, you're like, I've done wrecked a lot of things. I've done kind of dabble right. back. And that's, and that's me. I truly believe that that's me straying away from the light a little bit because yeah. I, I, I've always been the kind of like I'll put a little bit of myself in the light and I'll change it. Uh-huh. More, you know, if I put my whole self in the light at one time, it's like, nope, I can't change all of it at one time. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. so it's like, that's my mentality was like, and then the more I get closer and closer to doing good, I was a self-destructor, man. Like I would just, I would go to self-destruct mode and, and then I realized that, Hey, this is, this isn't one, it's, it ain't going yeah. away. Right. I t- I'm telling my testimony all over the the, work, the place. You know, I was doing ministry at that time. Whenever yeah. all that happened, I got saved, and I went in the, in the ministry and just started telling my testimony. But I realized real quick that I'm telling my testimony. I'm 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 having to, you know, give these stories to people, and I'm listening yeah. to their stories and knowing that they're going through the same things, and it helped me. But at the same time, I'm going, man, like you know, I'm telling I'm I'm telling these people this, but I'm not telling them that it goes on every day. Right. That's right. It's like, and this is a daily battle. Like you got to use the people around you. You, If you take it up to yourself to go, I know somebody is hurting yeah. and I'm hurting really bad. And I take what's, what's what I'm feeling to maybe get with somebody else who's feeling that. And we just start helping each other. We right. learn, we ha- we feel an instant gratification from helping others that keeps right. us going. That's our drive. Yeah. That's what gets us up every day. It's hard to do things for yourself when you're in that level. But if you do something and you take that chance to reach out and help somebody else, it, it automatically changes everything in your life. You become happy. No matter if what your financial situation is, no matter what your you know, relationship status is or what you've been through, when you've got somebody around you that you know is struggling just as hard or, or is going through yeah. something and you can try to help them with it, you know. And uh yeah. that's and my that's what the song every are. listener's got somebody around them that's struggling. They may not know it. They may not be showing it, but there are people around you that are struggling. Brian, right before we started this episode, you and I were talking about, you know, that daily fight. And I need uh, I, I need you to explain this a little bit better to the listeners, because the people that I know that are that are um, struggling with alcohol or drug addiction or some other really severe issue in their life. None of them use language like I'm over it now or I'm a former alcoholic. They usually use language like I am a recovering. That's a present tense participle. I am a recovering alcoholic, even if it's been 30 years since I took my last drink. I'm saying that because I want you to explain to the listener, like for you, this stuff is not over. It's get up tomorrow and keep fighting this battle. Cause if you stop fighting for one day, you might be right back to that 357 in your hand. Yes, sir. And 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 that's the deal too, is recovering is a very good uh, word because it don't matter how many times you go into a situation. Like if you have an opiate addiction, you know, I can honestly say that just now in my life, after all these years, just now in my life, if somebody was to walk in with a bottle of pills, 
that was, you know, hydrocodone or, or opiate, right. even if I, even if I'm having hurting from all these years of, of broke down working, you know, I don't want, I don't want it. I don't have the desire for it. So it's like, you know, it's like taking those wins and going. Yeah, it took you a long time to get to the point that you don't have a desire yeah. for it. Anymore, but, right? you know, but, you, but until then, you have to stay away from it. Like, to, to be honest with you, like, it's hard to do that because everybody, if everybody around you does it, it it's uh it's definitely gonna prolong the uh the relapses and the, yeah. because man we we can all say you know every now and then somebody has that mental toughness to go you know what i'm done i'm done and they have a, a but you know what they're doing they're putting someone or somebody or themselves above the drug you have right. to put yeah. that above the drug and you literally have to know that if i do this again i'm losing this if I yeah. do this again, I'm losing my family, you know, and it, it's literally like you have to keep those building blocks and you have to keep those things in mind and just know, look at it and go, man, you know, I don't miss that sickness anyway. Like right. it's a sickness. It's a, it, it's really is it. like you feel good for a, for not even a third of the time you feel bad. Yeah. So like, why would you put yourself through uh, that pain just to have that that little bitty bit of a high? And it's like. I've learned that through life that there's so much more you can get out of life and love and uh, and your you know children like you know just one time for your kid to come up to you and, right I mean <laughs> you know like I said that's it that's, makes it worthwhile right yeah that's the drive it's man a hard road of recovery worthwhile right that's it I have yeah, four babies so it's like every time I needed a <laughs> I need <laughs> so you need a hug you got one right I got one that's it yeah. Well, you just used the language that I really, really like. I don't think I've heard people use this before, but I want folks to know what you're describing is putting something in front of that temporary pleasure that you get from that addiction. And basically, you're trading that addiction. You're taking that addiction and exchanging it for something else. And that makes it worth the hard work. Look, nobody breaks addiction by just simply walking away. It's always hard work. And what we're saying right now is usually that work doesn't end for years or decades. But you have to remind yourself, man, there's something more important than that temporary feeling of high or that, you know, thing that that addiction gives you. And and that's what I'm putting more important in my life. It's 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 like you said, I took t- 10 years to, to tell my story through the song addiction you know that i have i have a song called addiction uh-huh. and, um it took me losing my uncle you know and uh he was murdered and uh mm-hmm. you know and it was an addict it was an addiction you know my aunt had an addiction he had an addiction and it wound up one of them had what they had and the other one didn't and it turned into a domestic yeah. thing and now he's gone and you know I, I i still i still carry him around with me everywhere because i you mm-hmm. know it's he's always going to be the one I feel like I couldn't, I couldn't save, you know, but at the same time, uh, man, I wear that a lot. I wear yeah. that a lot because everybody that I'm, I'm talking to now, everybody that I'm, I'm relating to, I want them to know that I promise you, I am not no higher or lower than anyone. I'm eye to eye and going through the same battle you're going through every day. So it's like, don't ever put me on a pedestal. Don't ever think that I'm the guy on the stage that's, uh, that's commanding something or, or being something that I'm not. I always want somebody to know that if you're standing where you're at, you're only one step away from being where I'm at. Right. I'm literally on the same level. And uh, yeah. I just I just learned how to uh, turn the pain into uh, – and so like addiction, that song, it says uh, – you know, you said addiction is always with you. Uh, I said at the end of that song, it says, I'm a darkness that comes in any size. You can't hide me. They can see it in your eyes. Mm-hmm. Sinner or saint, I'll leave you telling lies, but I'll be with you to the day you die. And, you know, the reason why I end that song out with the same line that's in the beginning of that song is because you're always going to be addicted to something. And, uh, you know, it just depends on what you want to replace your addiction with. Uh mm-hmm. Be addicted to being a better person. Be addicted yeah. to writing. Uh, be addicted to loving. Be addicted to uh, helping others. You know, yeah. and, there's, and there's and there's and if you replace something in your life 
Uh, you're going to be addicted to a coffee every morning. You're going to be addicted to a, you know, whatever you're addicted to, just change that addiction to something that's a little bit better, a little bit more healthier, a little bit something that's going to pull you away from that darkness. Because I truly believe people who have an addiction with a real problem uh, that started medically, uh, that started with chronic pain. And, you know, people who have those addictions, like I truly believe that there's, there's a lot of people out there right now that are really truly hurting right. and, and that pain medicine and that stuff just wears off so quick because of yeah. the way your immune system is built, you know, but now with everything that's going the way it's going, uh, you know, with the fentanyl and everything like yeah. you know, and one pill and you can be full blown addicted today. We were, we were just talking about this the other day. I wrote a song with a guy, uh, me and Trey Lewis, uh, wrote a song with this guy and, uh, a really great guy. And he was on America's Got Talent and uh, Nolan Neal. And we wrote a song called No Good at Giving Up. And it's an inspirational song mm-hmm. uh, for people who go through this stuff. And uh, I found out yesterday, you know, while we were talking about that song, that he had passed. And he had been. Oh, man. And so, like, but he, uh, fentanyl, overdose. Yeah. You know, oh, man. it's just one of those deals where it's like, man, why didn't I, you know, you, you almost want to go, why, man, why didn't I just. Uh, yeah. Why didn't I say something else yeah, or do, you yeah. know, take one more step towards it? Yeah, yeah. one more step towards it, man. Because, I mean, that's in the day, like, I'm telling my story, and we're telling our stories together. But, who know, you know, there's a lot of people around you that are going through the same exact thing, and they're more worried about trying to save you. Yeah. And, you know, at the same time, like, save yourself, save others, and uh, just know that it's not going to be easy. Right. Okay, so I want to go back for just a second. Um you put your pain, you put your, you know, your heart into music. It's obvious when you write an album like Self-Inflicted Scars um, that you're not afraid to tell all of those darks, the dark parts about your life, not just the the uh, good, happy stories. Yes, sir. You really are, man. Uh, I was thinking you're like the modern day um, man on fire movie. Like you put the pistol to your head, you pull the trigger, but it doesn't go off. And you really do get a second chance at life. But the part of your story that I really want the listeners don't uh, to, to get before this episode ends is yes. you're on an oil rig. And man, this is not what you want to be doing with the rest of your life. You're around some good dudes, but it's a rough <laughs> life. And you got a dream. And that dream just pours out of you very naturally in the form of writing songs. But how do you go from an oil rig to beauty in the struggle how do you go from an oil rig to becoming a no kidding song, singer songwriter because there's newsflash if you're driving and listening to this right now there's a difference between writing a song and being a songwriter yes. so man let me know what that journey was like will you because yes, uh, there's plenty of people that are right now working a miserable job and they hate it and they have a dream but they've never taken one step towards that dream so yes, how did this happen for you man so uh, I'm out there working on the rigs, and every day I'm writing songs about what we're going through. And, and then the guys around me start kind of gathering around, and they're sharing it on their stuff. And they're like, man, you need to put these songs out. Nobody writes about our way. Hey, Brian, you just described what it looks like to sit down with one or two other guys and write a song and create something beautiful. And I just want to pause for a second and recognize one of our sponsors. Go Ministries is built around connecting people to one another and then mobilizing them to go out and to change the world. And really, it happens when one or two people get connected to each other around a common purpose, kind of like writing a song together, except doing it for the purposes of discipleship. So I want you to check out this really short information clip about Go Ministries. Hi, my name is Will Parton. I'm the president of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. Over the past 30 years, I've seen our ministry go from one family, one church, and one school to over 300 local leaders making disciples in 150 different communities through church planting, sports, and medical. And we're getting ready to expand into other countries. The way that we define a disciple-making culture is when mentorship, mission, and multiplication are present. When there's that one-on-one mentorship between two people that are sharing the gospel, we believe that discipleship is taking place. And then when a group of people are gathering together 
and they're on mission together serving their community that surrounds them. That's another part of discipleship. And then lastly, you can't be a disciple or disciple maker if multiplication isn't the final goal. So would you please join us in our disciple making movement and our disciple making culture by going to gomen.org. Yeah, uh, you, you know, nobody writes uh, about these these things that we're dealing with out here, you know? And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to put it out on Facebook. So, like, literally, there's probably a thousand videos of me just sitting in a change house somewhere. or sit, And we're, literally, if I wrote it, it came out straight to Facebook. Yeah. What do you call it? Uh, trial by fire? Just like, hey, I don't, I don't care what you think. I just want you to listen, yeah. you know? And, uh, and so I did that for years. And then I put out like one or two songs a year. I wasn't going to take, you know, I waited on income tax to come in. I wasn't going to take money out of my baby's mouth. Right. But, you know, I'd put out one or two songs a year for about 10 years there. And um, I wrote, I wrote Oilfield Dad while I was, uh, when I was like, I think I was 20, 28, 29, I'm telling my age uh -huh. now. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, so I wrote Oilfield Dad and that was about my babies. And that was about me missing home. And man, the way that that thing blew up and resonated with the whole oilfield community, because it literally says in, in one of the lines it says, uh, "I miss half the life to give them one I never had." It ain't easy yeah. being old like that. And you know, uh, I think a lot of people really resonated with that. And I think that that turned into everybody on the rig saying, "Man, you're like a celebrity now. Why ain't you? Uh, why ain't you? Why ain't you in Nashville or on the Voice? Right. You know, everybody wants to say, "Why ain't you on the Voice or this, that, yeah. and the other." I said, man, well, I'm down in a cellar with these guys, like knee deep in, in mm -hmm. oil and stuff and swinging a hammer. And I'm going, I said, I'm only a celebrity when I'm standing next to you guys. I said, uh, you know, why would I want to go up there? You know, and then all the, all the while, the, the woman who's back at home, you know, like I said, I, I've always told her from the beginning, I said, hey, when she stood by me through the relapses and, yeah. and, and, yeah. and she's like, she would say, I'm, I'm leaving, and all she'd have to do is say, I'm leaving, and it was like, it snapped me out of it. Now, huh. it was always my constant, don't do this, say it again, don't do it again. Yeah. And um, I said, you know, through all the things I've been through, you've always been the beauty in the struggle. And I've, I've said that forever, and I don't know why it took so long to write it, but I'll tell you that uh, I got so caught up in my depression again that I lost, uh, I lost her for a little bit because I was out there on the rigs, the rigs, the oil field fell out and then it goes back to a financial struggle yeah. and it goes back to, and then, you know, I remember just from, uh, in 2019, I won songwriter of the year in Texas. And, uh, and I was, so, I, I was so excited for a moment. And then it, that, that moment was like, Oh, this can't, you know, I, I don't deserve yeah. it. You know how you go automatically in oh, your yeah. head. Like, I, yeah. yeah. And so I was like, there's so many better songwriters there, you know, and, but, you know, I'm always that guy. Like, I don't know why I am, but it's, it's just like I'll, I'll, I'll second-guess things and I'll go, hey, you know, I'm pretty good, but I don't I don't give myself pats on the back and I don't take pat pat on the backs. And uh, it's just the way I was raised, I guess, you know. It's like you always, you always can be better. You always can strive to do better. But as long as you take those little brief moments to go, hey, you're doing all right, you know. Yeah. And so, like, I had to do that when I lost, when me and her split up and I, for about a year, and uh, I wound up having a real bad wreck, and I wound up with an ICU with a brain injury, and uh, wow. it, it was real bad, and then yeah. uh, I came back home and put put my life back together, and uh, at that time, I told her, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going back to work, and I'm going to kind of give this music thing up for a little bit, and I said, but I wrote you this, and, you know, this, this song. And uh, that song caught wind and it started taking off. Next yeah, thing I know, you got to <laughs> tell people how much wind yeah. it caused. It caught. It caught some wind, and it's like, and then it's me going back to my myself and going, man. Every time you get in a corner, you, you, you know, God brings you out swinging. And it's like, and I think it's just that every that 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 uh back in the corner mentality of going, nope, I know where this goes. It, it goes nowhere. So let's come back out of here and let's just hit it hard. I know it's tough, but hey, you know, let's do it again. It's like I said, that keep fighting mental thing. And um, so when I wrote that, people came out the woodworks and they were like, hey, why don't you come do this? You know, yeah. uh, sign this label. This, and I was like, I told my last, I said, uh, I don't want to go back out there uh, right now just because I just got this thing uh, 
figured out and I'm putting, I'm finna put the bottle down and, yeah. and, and right. you know, cause the bottle came back into my life during that yeah. divorce yeah. and you know, six years sober. It's like I said, it's a constant battle, man. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, once you pick it back up, you have to fight even harder the next time. And then you just got to keep fighting. And so I told, uh, I told her, she said, she said, you're not putting that guitar down. She's always told me that. She said, you're not putting that guitar down because she said, I love you. But I don't think I can deal with you if you're not writing songs. <laughs> that like, guitar is the only thing that makes you sane. Yeah, she's like, I don't think I could deal. She's like, I love you. But I don't think I could live with you if you're not doing music. Uh-huh. Because she said, that is the one thing that I truly know that everything that you've ever said to me or your family and your kids, that's the most authentic, truest thing that has always been a part of your life. And I was like, and I just told her one time, I said, I wish I just could one day find the words without having to make them right. Yeah. And, uh, and say that, you know, it's like, and then sometimes I do, but it's sometimes it still comes out a lot better in a song uh, right. than I can sit down and talk to somebody about. But, um, so that happened. And then, and I got with average Joe's and, uh, dirtified and, you know, uh, the label, uh-huh. I took a chance on it, man. And at the same time, in the beginning, uh, it hit me a little bit too hard because, you know, this, uh, this lifestyle is different, man. It's yeah. it's one of those deals where when you go doing this full time and you're out here, it's like, man, you talk about temptation. Like there is the devil at every corner. And I say the devil, you know, I can blame the bottle on, on being a devil all I want to. And I write him and I write the, you know, you know, the devil and the bottle in a song a lot. But I'll tell you this right now. A lot of people would go out and have a good time to come watch you play. You do this every night. So it's like you're in a bar with alcohol and people bring you shots, people bring you drinks, people bring you this, that, and the other. And it's like, I'm trying to quit, but I don't want to be rude. And, uh, you know, and then then you eventually have to just go, um, it's not being rude. They they don't have to deal with what I have to deal that's with right. tomorrow yeah, morning. That's right. You know, they don't, and then the next morning. And then, and, you know, so it's like yeah. finally you start eventually going no. And I think that's my biggest thing was like I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings or make them feel like I'm being insulting or anything, you know, or saying that I'm, um, you know, not grateful that they're there and they want to buy me right. a beer or a drink. But at the end of the day, like, you know, let me get to a point to where I can just take your beer. And, you know, cause that, that's the deal. It's like at this point in my life again, I done became an alcoholic again. So it's like, now yeah. I'm going back into recovery. That's the, you know, so it's like, so I come, so that's what I've been doing, man, every day. And then, sure enough, eight months, eight months now, I've, I've been uh, completely again where I can just, you know, it's just, it's just a constant win after win after win, you know. And it's, and I, and I mean, I think I say eight months since I've been able to go, okay, like for real, you know. Yeah. But anytime in between, if I wasn't on the road, there ain't no beer in my icebox. There ain't no, like, right. that's the deal. It's like, there's never, a case of beer could could be put in my icebox and live there for three years and I would never touch it. Yeah. But it, when the anxiety and stuff, you get on the road and you're, now yeah. you got more people looking at you. You got more people uh-huh. wanting to buy you drinks. Like used to, you, could, you couldn't get drunk off the people that wanted to buy you drinks. <laughs> so it was like, you know, so now I'm having to learn to be that. If I'm this person and I'm the, this guy that's living these songs and, and, and telling these stories and telling my story of the ups and downs and all this stuff, um, I'm sorry, but you know, I'm old enough now to know that my kids can start seeing that. You know, uh, who am I gonna grow up? To, you That's know, right. Who am I gonna grow up yeah. to be like? And you know, if my daddy's got this song from this time when he had a real good time in his life and he beat something, but now he's battling again. Yeah. You know, he, then how am I, I want to show him more victory than losses. Yeah. And, and I want to show them that they're is so much more happiness uh, in finding that. And and, in, yeah. and so that's my deal, man. So right now, you know, with my music, I'm going out and I'm still writing songs and telling my story, telling the struggles. But uh, at the same time, I'm winning, man. All right. You know? <laughs> so. Well, I, I was going to say, people that listen to your music, maybe they resonate because you're being so real and they're thinking, this guy's like me, and hey, 
I want to have a beer. I'm going to buy this guy a beer until you're doing that every day, all day long, day after day. And that will consume you. So, Brian, I want to tell you, man, keep fighting because your wife, your children, your family, your life is worth that fight. But for you in the lifestyle that you're in, man, it is a struggle every day and just keep struggling, brother. That's it, man. As long as as you're struggling, uh, you're strengthening. Yeah. And the struggle is worth it, basically. Right. I mean, those children, your lifestyle, it's worth the struggle. I'm I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the struggle mainly because uh, the the toughness that is built in me to be able to use it for a tool for good, uh, to help others that maybe, you know, like I said, haven't had that, uh, you know, they had to struggle, but they haven't had that time to strengthen that, yeah. that you know, that mentality of knowing that there's something on the other side of it, you right. know. That's the deal. Is like you can see valleys all day long, but if you if you just know that that it's, you're only maybe a couple steps away from seeing what's on the other side of that hill, you know. Oh man, that's good words right there. Yeah. I hope you heard that one. Say that one <laughs> one more time for people that yeah, are man. It's, 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 it's literally man. Like if you hit a valley, that time that it's that is a time for learning because you literally are probably only a couple steps away from seeing what's on the other side of that mountain, and that mountain may not be near as big as what you're looking at or what perspective you're. Because when you're on the ground, man, that mountain looks tall. But if you stand yeah. up, you might can see over the top of it. Right. Well, hey, um, I just want people to hear this is a guy who not he didn't just release a video, a song, Beauty in the Struggle, that ends up going viral on the Internet. That's not what happened with you, man. You were writing music. You were putting it out there for people to hear. And you were a celebrity, air quotes. I'm making air quotes for everybody who's yeah. driving right now. You yeah. were in the oil, on the oil rigs out there, basically just doing what comes natural to you. And I'm going to use this language, man. You have this God-given gift to put what's in your heart into words and put it into song. And now you're using that gift. But I hope that listeners haven't missed that. It's, a, it's a, the lifestyle that you're in, man. It isn't easy. It's a struggle, but I also hurt, hope they're hearing that this struggle is worth it. It's worth because it. you can do a lot of good, man. You can really make a, dif- a, a big difference in a lot of people's lives. You can, man. And I think that that's what you got to find. What's your healing? You know, what's your healing? You know, yeah. if you're out there listening, you know, what makes, what is going to make you uh, be able to feel like you're expressing something that you don't know how to express? Because, you you can have pressure built up on the inside, and if you don't find a way to at least put a pinhole in it or or something to vent that, you know, you got to have something that's going to vent that. Or and, you're uh, close, and right? if you're going to vent it, and you turn it into something that's going to help yeah. others vent theirs. Yeah, and that's even you know, it's like I said, if you're a singer and you're a songwriter, and you come in this town, you know, you can get lost in the uh, in the glitz and yeah. in the glamour of it. I mean, to be honest with you. Uh, I think Nashville can be a beautiful place. Yeah. But a brutal place. <laughs> at the same br- time. Yeah. I haven't. And that's why I, I made a comment about this. Um, I'm me when I'm, when I walk into a room, when I walk out of a room, uh, I'm the same person. Like when I walk uh, into a church or I walk into a bar, I'm the same person. And uh, I think that that's a big thing too, is knowing who you are yeah. and uh, embracing that with the scars, with the things yeah. that are, you know, and knowing that it's nothing wrong with that because right. a lot of people want to kind of put you in a, uh, like in this, in this industry, you think you got to look a certain way or you think you have to dress mm-hmm. a certain way or you have to fit a certain bill or you'll never make it to this level or whatever. And it's not about how, how, uh, you know, it's not about none of that. I think that it truly, you know, see a lot of people that I came from the outside in. So I came from the Texas circuit where it's a little bit rougher over there, but. I came into this town and I, I just didn't ever put on the mask. So you know, I think that's the big deal. Just keep the mask off and and uh, let people see you for who you are. And if they accept yeah. you for who you are, then you'll find out pretty soon that you stand out from a lot. Yeah. Because well, this, of this. this is exactly what it means to be unbeatable, Brian. You're describing it perfectly. <laughs> I want to wrap this whole interview up with one question, man. You've got a lot going on right now. Got an album that's uh, you're dropping singles for right now. Got a single that just came out. 
but what's the next big goal for you? And I don't mean just professionally or musically, but just as a, as a man, what's the next big thing that you're excited about, you're looking forward to? Uh, man, I'll be honest with you. My next big goal is uh, tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, and tomorrow doing something uh, more with my family and uh, doing something more uh, for my fans. Uh, you know, I don't even like to call them. It's, it, you know, it's like I don't even like to call, call them fans because they're just like me, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like for the people who listen to me, the people who relate to me, I just want to do something more. That's, uh, that's my goal. You know, just just as much more as I can do for the better of uh, of myself, my family, my people, the people around me, the people All listening right. to me. So you know, I don't set long long term goals because uh, as as you learn as someone like me, we we take it day to day to day. Yeah. And I, I mean, yes, I'd love to have a, a fishing trip. <laughs> you know, or or go back home to Louisiana and sit in a boat, John boat, like you talked about. You done got me. Uh, hungry for a John boat, man. Well, all right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, like I said, I just want to tell the truth. Yeah. You keep telling it. Well, you were telling the truth in this episode, man. Thank you for being so honest, so raw. And when we wrap this up, I'm going to tell people how they can find out about your latest single and connect with you some more. But, man, thank you for being you, man. a guest on Unbeatable. I appreciate it, brother. Love you. Be good, yeah, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. Wow, Brian just said something that will stick with me the rest of this week. He challenged you that if you're going through a valley right now, if you're going through some really rough period of your life, just keep in mind that the next hilltop might be one or two steps away. You can't see it because it's so dark right now, but it may just be one or two more steps before you get over that hill and you make it to the other side. And what Brian is really saying is, don't give up in the valley. Keep going. Be unbeatable. In fact, while he was talking, I couldn't miss that last quote that he made. Tell you what I'm going to do this week as a result of this episode. I'm going to go out tomorrow, and I'm going to do my best to make tomorrow great for my family, great for my friends, great for all of the followers of this podcast. And I hope you'll do the exact same thing. Take Brian's advice. And go make tomorrow great. I just want to say thanks. Thank you for following us. If you've been with us on social media, man, thank you for following us. Thank you for subscribing if you've been listening to this podcast. But if you found us for the first time, why don't you go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform? Go ahead and follow us on your favorite social media outlet. Just search for at Unbeatable Podcast. But I tell you the best way to get connected. We have an online community. It's called the Unbeatable Army. We give you content during the week. We send out information to you. We got freebies for you. And we'll give you an opportunity to comment directly on this episode on the website. Just go to unbeatablearmy.com to become part of the community or to join in the conversation. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Unbeatable with Brian Martin. See you next time. God bless.